The scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. About that time, while the number of disciples continued to increase, a complaint rose. Greek-speaking disciples accused the Aramaic-speaking disciples because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food service. The twelve called a meeting of all the disciples and said, It isn't right for us to set aside proclamation of God's word in order to serve tables. Brothers and sisters, carefully choose seven well-respected men from among you. They must be well-respected and endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom. We will put them in charge of this concern. As for us, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the service of proclaiming the word. This proposal pleased the entire community. They selected Stephen, a man endowed by the Holy Spirit with exceptional faith, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. The community presented these seven to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. God's word continued to grow. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased significantly. Even a large group of priests embraced the faith. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection.
This is what she wrote. Public school was my first exposure to Western customs. I learned English in school and spoke Cantonese at home. I ate cafeteria PB&J for lunch and rice for dinner. I don't remember a time where the duality of my identity was not on my mind. Recently, I have felt a stronger desire to return to my roots. It's a shift I've witnessed not only in myself, but in Asian Americans as a whole. In the last couple of years, we have become more visible and more heard. It has made me feel less alone and injected me with more pride. I don't remember a time when the duality of my identity was not on my mind. Duality, doubleness, a two-sidedness that in our text works against some people and then privileges, protects other people. We're told about these, uh, and uh, translate, translators have a hard time getting at the nuance of this. And so sometimes you'll hear um, Greek-speaking disciples and Hebrew-speaking disciples, or you'll, sometimes you'll hear simply Hellenists on this side, and then the Hebrews on the other side, um, Hellenistic Jews, and the Hebrew Jews, which the last, the, the last sort of dichotomy is, is a little strange because what you're talking about really is the Hebraic or the Hellenistic Hebrews and the Hebrew or Hebraic Hebrews, right? Because Hebrew is maybe the, the linguistic term and then Jew is the ethnic term. But these are people who are from the same ethnic grouping having a hard time getting along with one another. We happen to be gathered together today on Pentecost Sunday, which many call the birthday of the church because it's the, it's the day, the moment when so many different people, pilgrims of the faith, were gathered in Jerusalem from many different regions of the world who spoke different languages, and fire came down from heaven and rested on these people. And all of a sudden, as they spoke, each in their own language, they were able to understand each other. And so there was something about Pentecost that, that tore down dividing walls of hostility. That was in the beginning of the book of Acts. And only seven chapters in, or six chapters in, already you're beginning to see um, the difficulty of making Pentecost work. Do you see that? If Pentecost is about breaking down walls, what you see in Acts chapter 6 is the, is the building of walls, is the reinscribing of these lines of difference between the Hellenists and the Hebrews, um, between these people who simply because they speak different languages, because they lived and grew up in different parts of the world, despite all the things that bind them together, have a hard time getting along together. And what we begin to learn in this text is that a seat at the table is not the same as having a place at the table. You see, it's possible to be seated at the table and not get what is yours. 
It is possible to be seated at the table, to even be invited and warmly embraced at the table and not be seen and not be fed and not enjoy the bounty of the banquet that is there. How many of you have experienced this, where you were given a seat at the table, but sooner or later you realize you weren't really given a place there? that you weren't truly welcome there, that that was really not a place where you belonged. The problem of food distribution in Acts chapter 6 is a microcosm of a larger issue. And the larger issue is this. Pentecost is hard work. Yes, the church was birthed on Pentecost, but for the church to grow, to thrive, to become the fullness of what God intends for the church to be, that is hard work, and it is not guaranteed. The flourishing of the church, the flourishing of God's people who are living together in harmony across of lines of difference is not a foregone conclusion we learn in the book of Acts. The, the grand vision of Pentecost runs aground against the stuff, the daily grind of life. And torn before, uh, sorry, torn between two worlds are people like Stephen and a number of other people in the church. Torn between these two worlds, these individuals nevertheless make a home for themselves in these two worlds. Okay, and those are basically the two points I want us to work through. And I think um, I had a really hard time picking the, the text or limiting the text because in some ways I wanted to give all of us a chance to hear all of chapter 6. And then I realized you really have to hear all of chapter 6 and chapter 7 as well. And so um, I don't usually do this, but if I were to give you a homework assignment today, I think you're not really going to understand this sermon until you've read all of chapters 6 and 7, okay? So if, you know, if at the end of the time it doesn't make sense to you, I told you why, right? <laughs> um, so go home, read the rest of the story. I'm going to try my best to kind of give you a flyover view of what's in these, um, in these verses, okay? So you're going to have a general idea by the end. Torn between two worlds, Stephen and others, not just Stephen, but Stephen is sort of the representative figure, so we're going to focus on him for the sake of time. Stephen makes a home in both worlds. First of all, Stephen is torn between two worlds, and I was trying to think about a, a story that would, that would help us get at this, and I think, I thought of a time, or the story of uh, these English colonizers, I'm sorry, colonists who came to this uh, new world, a world that was new to them in the age of encounter. And they began trying to carve out space, land for themselves. And they came upon these inhabitants of the land who had been there for a long time. And so they had to negotiate how it is that they would lay down boundary markers in these territories. And so they went through this really ordinate ritual where they brought gifts, they brought goods, they brought supplies, they brought things that they thought were valuable to them, and they came to these Native Americans, to these indigenous peoples, and they said, we will give you, okay, for the price of this land, we will give you 
these goods. And by, and by giving you these goods, this land will now become ours. All right? And so um, they did the best they could. They didn't really speak the same language, and so there were lots of hand gestures and drawing things on the ground and trying to sort of make sense of each other. And then they cobbled together these rituals, and then they had a great meal together. And, um, and these English colonists believed the land now to be theirs. Okay? And then some time passed as they were enjoying this land, and these Native American tribes, they came back. And there was a, you know, an attempt at trying to communicate, trying to understand one another. And all of a sudden, they kind of, there was a breakthrough. And then the colonists began to realize, oh, you want another payment. Well, there must have been a misunderstanding because we already paid for this land. This land is now ours. It no longer belongs to you. And in their own way, they, the Native Americans tried to communicate. Well, no, that wasn't our understanding at all. See, what we believed was happening in these transactions or in these things that we were doing was not a commercial transaction, but a, but a ratification of a covenantal relationship. We were simply agreeing to be good neighbors. And what good neighbors do is every once in a while, they come back together and they renew and re-ratify their relationship. You see, what the English colonists saw as a commercial transaction, the Native Americans saw as a ritual of covenant relationship that needed to be renewed time and again and again. They didn't see themselves as giving away this land. This land wasn't even theirs to give away. It was a gift they had received. The bounty of this land was something that they were all supposed to enjoy together. And there was a profound misunderstanding. And you know what happens when there's misunderstanding? Sooner or later, it leads to the maligning of one another. Oh, you have such, how is it that you understand that you see the world so differently? There must be something wrong with your eyes, with your mind, with the ways in which you see and understand and interpret the world, and the ways that you move around in the world. There must be something wrong with you. And this is, to be sure, what happened. These indigenous persons we're told there's something wrong with the way that you see the world. There is a problem, okay, a problem with how you move around within the world. And so there's something deficient in your civilization. There's something deficient in your culture. And this is kind of what's happening for Stephen and these Hellenistic Jews. What they're encountering is, oh, we thought we were part of the same body of Christ now, and all of a sudden, we're at the table and we don't get to eat, or we don't get to eat the same portions that others get to eat. There's still a hierarchy. Some are higher on that hierarchy, and others are lower on the hierarchy. And what, what Stephen begins to realize is that he is a resident alien. It's a key word in this text that he is a foreigner, and because of his foreigner status, despite the fact that he is a part of this, of this community, despite the fact that Pentecost happened, and they're living on the other side of Pentecost, so that they ought to be one family and one community together, his resident alien status becomes an obstacle. 
And you see this in chapter 6, verse 14. We didn't quite get there, but in chapter 6, verse 14, you see the accusations that are, law, that are lodged against Stephen. And one of those is the fact that, you know, Stephen does not understand our scriptures. And yet, he's trying to change how we understand Moses. He's telling us that our understanding of Moses is somehow deficient or incorrect. And so people are upset. Okay? And, and the community gathers together and they, and they bring charges against Stephen. And you see, once again, Stephen is torn between two worlds. He's being told, your reading of Moses cannot be correct. You don't even speak the language, right? Our, our sacred scriptures are in Hebrew, and you're just a Greek-speaking Jew. So there must be something in the way that you're reading these texts, that you're understanding these stories that are, that are insufficient. And you are a danger to our community because you don't really, un- really understand. You're still an outsider. Um, and what we begin to see Stephen doing in the course of this text is Stephen rises above this very dualistic thinking to embrace this duality. Now, there's a lot of words there. It might sound like gobbledygook, and so I'm going to just invite you to think about these terms a little bit, okay? Dualism, dualism is um, a way of seeing the world where there are two separate things in opposition to each other. And dualism, if it becomes an ideology, says, well, there's two things in the world, and there's one, one correct thing and one incorrect thing, right? There's one good way, and there's another evil way. And you have to make the right choice. That's dualistic thinking. Duality, on the other hand, is the understanding that there is one thing, and the one thing has at least two qualities that are at the essence of that one thing. Okay? And so two or more things are part of what makes this one thing the thing that it is. Are you, are you with me? Does that make sense? Duality is, this, is one thing, and that one thing encompasses multitudes. And this is the move that Stephen has to make. Stephen has to navigate this world of dualism that says it's either or. You are either with us or against us. You either see the world as we, as we see the world, or you don't understand. And Stephen has to rise above that and somehow, somehow find a way to make himself at home in both of these worlds, in these worlds that are tearing him apart, that are pulling him in opposite directions. I have another quote from um, Dad Yushin, who in the same New York Times series, uh, What We Look Like, he wrote these words. Let me just read these words for you, because I think they're going to help us understand in more concrete terms, what duality means. He writes, My parents are first-generation immigrants. I am Asian-American, specifically Korean-American. As I was growing up, the term Asian-American simultaneously comforted and confused me. I found comfort in that there was an inherent sense of camaraderie with other Asian-Americans. However, the label also confused me because while, yes, I was Asian, and yes, I was American, I never really felt I belonged to either community. I was constantly attempting to assimilate into communities that would inevitably exclude me to some degree. Amongst my white American peers, I would always be a representation of a different culture. 
to my peers in Korea, I was a foreigner who just happened to look like them. I was a foreigner to them, and they were foreigners to me. I now have a better understanding of the duality of my identity and take pride in it, but a disconnect from both American and Korean cultures still lingers. Sometimes it feels like I can only see them from afar. I now have a better understanding of the duality of my identity and take pride in it. I think that gets at some of what Stephen himself is experiencing in the course of this text. He finds himself torn between two worlds. He finds himself hearing messages that tell him, you are less than, you are not enough. Because the way you see the world, because the way you talk, because the language in which you are formed is less than. And then what Stephen does is he leans into the fact of the duality of his experience, of who he is as a person. And he leans into that. And he, he makes a home in both, both worlds. And the way that he does this is at least three ways. Okay, I'm going to point these out to you from the text. There's a closer reading of Abraham and Moses' story that Stephen offers. Do you realize in the course of Acts chapter 7, you get a long sermon. It's really long. It's quite long. This is why we didn't read the entire chapter. But you get a long sermon by Stephen that in some ways eclipses the sermon of the Apostle Peter earlier in Acts. It's definitely longer. It's more comprehensive. It is more sweeping. I dare not say it's a better sermon than the Apostle Peter's, but there's something about it where there is more. And the more here is that he is offering a closer reading of Abraham and Moses. And there's something about Stephen's resident alien status, as offensive or problematic as that term is, we're going to use it because some of the English translations themselves use those terms. And it's in the text. There's something about Stephen's foreigner status that helps him to understand the story of Abraham and Moses. In chapter 7, verse 6, we're told that Abraham's descendants were going to be resident aliens in a land, in a country that did not belong to them. That, that Abraham is a wandering Aramean, that he is a pilgrim, that he will not have a place, a land of his own, that he is going to live his life oriented towards a promised land, and that's going to be the hope of his life. But it's going to take basically all of the Old Testament for him to come to realize both the promise and the elusiveness of that promise, of the land that he would be able to call home. And we're actually told in Acts chapter 7, verse 6, that Abraham and his descendants were resident aliens. And so far from Stephen, because he was a Greek-speaking Jew, having lack of access, he actually has deeper access to the story. And far from not understanding Moses, because Moses was Hebrew, there's something about Moses that... Stephen is able to understand because of his resident alien status as well. We're actually told in Acts chapter 7, verse 29, the same word is used about Moses. Moses became a resident alien 
in the land of Midian. But before we get there, if you look back to Exodus chapter 2, what you realize was that Moses was not just a bicultural person. He was a tricultural person. He was a person who saw himself as a Hebrew. Yes, he grew up in the court of Pharaoh. He received the best education that Egypt had to offer, but he was a Hebrew. And the reason you know this about Moses, knowing this about himself, is when he goes out as a young man, he's grown up, and he go, he's walking around, and he sees a Hebrew being persecuted by an Egyptian. He gets so worked up, he kills that Egyptian. Okay? And then a few verses later in Exodus chapter 2, uh, Moses is on the run for his life, and then he finds, he's, Moses is always sticking his nose in other people's business, okay? Because he sees these women who are being harassed at the well as they're trying to draw water, and Moses drives away these hoodlums. And then these women go to their father, and they say, well, the father says, well, how did you come home so soon, so early today? And, and the women say, this Egyptian saved us and helped us with the water. He sees himself a Hebrew, as a Hebrew. He is seen by others as an Egyptian. And because he's an exile, he's going to live in Midian for 40 years. Let me tell you, when you live in a land for 40 years, there's something about that land that becomes part of your story as well. So Moses is, an Egyptian, is a Hebrew, an Egyptian, and a Midianite. And then in Acts chapter 7, verse 29, we're told he is what? A, he was a resident alien. He had no land to call his own. He was always a person on the move, always a person on pilgrimage. And there's something about that being on the move that Stephen reads the story of Moses, and he, has, he actually has deeper access to the truth and the message of Moses' life. And Stephen has the audacity to point out, hey, wait a minute, your forefathers did not obey Moses. Your forefathers spoke out, cried out against Moses. They didn't believe him. They didn't trust his words. And so I'm here standing and telling you that there's something about the message of Moses that points to Jesus and something about his resident alien status and my own foreigner status that helps me to understand that something is happening. God's Spirit is moving in such a way that we can only understand, that we can only begin to embody together. If we accept each other across these lines that we're condemning each other against. And so he offers a closer reading of, Mo of Abraham and Moses. He offers a critical reading of Solomon's error and a critical reading of the temple in, in Jewish religion. And let me tell you, I mean, he's going for the jugular here. He's, he's talking about really important, really profound core issues. And what he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 47 and 48 is, Solomon built a house for God, a God who does not dwell in houses made by man. You see, you see what's, what, what Stephen is saying is, this whole temple religion and system and doctrine of belief that you have built around the temple, it's, it's, it's built on a theological mistake. This is why Stephen will be killed by the end of uh, chapter 7. Because he has the audacity to say things that are unacceptable, that are problematic. 
But Stephen, you see him, him, he's making a home in both of these worlds. He's saying, this world is my world. This scripture is my scripture. This religion is my religion. I have a place here too, and I will not let you take it away from me. I belong here. I belong here so much that I can live in this story and begin to poke holes in it and begin to be part. See, there's something about the resilience and strength of of the story of redemption that we have in the Old Testament that invites this kind of critique, that invites this kind of challenge, that invites this kind of conversation for friends. This is what conversation is, a back and forth between two contrasting viewpoints coming to a fuller understanding. And Stephen is engaged in that work, that very spiritual and theologically rigorous and rich work of coming to a deeper understanding. And he gets here by saying, yes, you want to tear me between these two worlds, but I choose to make a home in both of these worlds. See, he offers a critical reading of Solomon's error. Lastly, he offers a challenge to the dualistic thinking of the apostles. I love Acts chapter 6 because it's very subtle, but you can't miss it if you're reading closely. The apostles say, well, we, we have to tend to the ministry of the word. We can't be distracted waiting on tables. And so what do they do? They appoint these men, Right? to wait on these tables. And what does Stephen do? Stephen begins to what? Engage in the ministry of the word. And what Stephen says is, I can do both. You know, the apostles say, well, you know, this is kind of beneath us. They may not, they may not actually say that, but, but in, their, in their actions, that's what they're conveying. And what Stephen says is, I'm going to challenge this dualistic thinking of the apostles. And he goes on to preach not necessarily a better sermon, but a longer sermon than Peter. And in this case, it might happen to be richer or more sweeping and more comprehensive. Okay? And so he offers this challenge. And by offering this challenge, Stephen says, this is my world too. This is my home too. And let me just wrap up by saying, offering you a few reflections on what I think is the spiritual and theological import of these very complicated moves that Stephen is making here, okay? If you have ever felt torn between two worlds, as if you were trying to mash together two worlds that seemed worlds apart, and here we're not just talking about Asian Americans and people, with, people that come from um, um, different backgrounds. All of us, all of us in our personalities, in, in the richness of our personalities, contain multitudes. In other words, we all experience duality. Uh, ever feel like sometimes you're kind of a, you feel a little bit schizophrenic in the moment because you just feel torn in, 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 in so many different ways? Well, you were experiencing duality in that moment. You were experiencing the complexity of what it means to be a human being that is pulled in different directions. And Stephen's experience of that has lessons for us. If you've ever felt torn between two, two worlds, the story of Stephen and Jesus in Stephen offers good news. And that is this. You are enough. You are not a contradiction. You are not a, a schizoid. You are a beautiful whole made up 
of infinitely complicated parts that belong together. And those jagged little edges that, may, that make you feel like a misfit are actually gifts you bear to the world for the blurring of boundaries. You see, in a world so polarized, where people living in different worlds, different media worlds, different ideological worlds, different spiritual and theological worlds, in a world of dividing lines of hostility all around us, we need people who can transgress lines of demarcation. We need people, we need people who know how to cross boundaries. We need people who know how to live in two worlds and stay whole. And the good news is this, these dividing lines of hostility, it's not, it's not walls that divide us, but porous boundaries that can be crossed, that can be transgressed. And across these lines of difference, it is possible for God's people, for the world's people to come together and to find commonality, to find home, to make a home for themselves together. Friends, this is the good news of Pentecost. Yes, yes, we live in a world where we constantly feel pulled and tugged and torn between two worlds. And yet, it is possible to make a home. It is possible to make a home in the multiplicity of worlds before us. Let us pray. God, we ask that you would help this message, this good news of Pentecost, to become part of our story. And God, we ask that you would help us to bring the parts of ourselves that do not seem to fit, the parts of ourselves that are so often misunderstood and so often maligned in our world. Help us to find our wholeness and our our acceptance and our home in you and through Jesus Christ. Amen.